So we're, we're journeying in this series called Freedom, Journey to Freedom through Exodus. This past week we've celebrated our political freedom uh, as a country. Um, you know, political freedom is one matter, and I think we can agree that it's so easy for us to take our political freedom for granted, and we shouldn't. This time of year we are remit reminded not to. But there's also another reality. There's a deeper, more enduring personal freedom of the whole person that no government, no culture can give you. This kind of freedom brings well-being. It's soulish. It reaches into the deep parts of us. It makes us truly free people. It helps us to become content no matter our circumstances, whether we lived in a free country or a country with oppression. This kind of freedom helps us learn to actually live in such a way that we're doing what we want to do, not what our country says we can and can't do. It changes us from the inside out. We are truly set free. This is our quest as followers of Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set us free, God's Word says. The book of Exodus, we've been trekking with the people who are on a quest towards freedom. They've been slaves for 430 years in Egypt. And they're about to exit that place, Egypt, and that place, more importantly, of slavery. And so we're going to be walking with them over the next several weeks out of of their condition of slavery and into freedom and what does that look like for them so we're going to pick it up here this is our fifth week in this series called journey to freedom Uh, i'm going to read from exodus chapter 13 this passage is a little bit of an interlude kind of a little short commentary one that we often like rush through and as i was rushing through it it slowed me down and i felt like this was god's word for us this week So let's read it. Why don't we read it together? Would you stand with me and we'll let you audibly join me and we'll we'll read it together. I'll get us started and then I'll let you take it. How's that? Here we go. This is Exodus 13 starting verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go. Next slide. After leaving Succoth, Have a seat. It's not as easy to look sometimes, is it? 
Well, welcome to my life. So we're getting a snapshot here of God, the creator of the universe, the ruler of the world, as leader of a people. It's a prominent theme in this book, Exodus, God leading a people. Surely Moses says they're getting ready, he's getting ready to lead two million people or so out of Egypt. Surely he had an exit strategy already crafted. He's an experienced leader. But it wasn't his strategy that's at play here that led them out. God is leading them here very directly. Very specific instructions. God's been doing it that way for a little while now. He's been working with a number of people, whether Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God has been dealing with Pharaoh, trying to get Pharaoh to see that he's at work, trying to call Pharaoh to himself. Pharaoh, on the other hand, has been trying to extinguish God's people. He's been trying to get rid of them. And now that he's had the opportunity that God said, let them go, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's decided that's too big of an economic blow for him to let them go. Because they're his slaves. And God's been working through Pharaoh in ways that Pharaoh has no idea. God's been working through a man named Moses that we've become acquainted with. God's preserved Moses' life a number of times as a baby, a young child, as a young man. And then for decades now, he's been shaping Moses to lead this people out of captivity. God's also been leading the people themselves. Most recently, he's been leading them for this big venture to leave Egypt. All two million of them. God is leading. Question for you. Would you say God leads your life? I'm not asking it like religiously, like, yeah, I know the answer to that kind of question. I mean, really, does He lead your life? What does that even look like? What would it look like for you? God is able to lead your life, and I want you to hear this. He's desirous. He wants to lead your life. He wants to play that role in you, leader in your life. He wants it to be very tangible, not just something we talk about at church. He wants to lead you in your decisions, the big ones as well as the small ones. In your relationships, He wants to lead you in those. In your work, He knows knows more about your field than you do, whatever your field might be. He'd like to lead you in that. In your studies, your student, in every domain of your life, God is able and wants to lead you. He's capable and available to provide stable, loving, guiding leadership in such a way that will help His purposes advance and will also help you flourish. That's His vision for your life. Do you believe that? Can you get a vision for that? your life. That's what we're going to consider this morning. First things first, if you want God to lead you, like I've described, then there's a decision that you're going to come to, and you'll have to settle it. 
And in essence, here's the decision. You're going to have to decide that God is God and you are not. That's one way of saying it. And that's really good news. Because this Lord of the universe, this creator, this majestic God, has demonstrated that he's actually a very good God. He's actually a very kind God. Even a very humble God. He's come in the person of Jesus. He hasn't come in such a way that crushes us. He comes in the person of Jesus. Jesus was God and He came to us as a man, as one of us. The confession of the ancient church was this, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. God in the flesh so here's the first thing first. In order to, for God to become your leader, Jesus must become your Lord. There's no two ways about it. It has to happen. So what does it mean to make Jesus Lord of your life? It simply means that you settle this as honestly as you can, that you will unconditionally follow God's rightful place in your life. You'll give Him His rightful place as ruler of your life. That's what it means to be Lord. In other words, He has unlimited say over your life. It's unconditional. To make Jesus Lord means to accept that. And it means to receive that and accept your role as follower. And there's no use to try to make that sound cute. That's just reality. That's what it means to make Jesus Lord. Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that God expects you to follow Him perfectly. He, has not, he doesn't have that expectation. Uh, that's why grace, which is God's kindness, is like the oxygen of His kingdom. There's always His kindness is always there. Because none of us follows Him all that well, if we're really honest. We have our good moments, but we fail a lot. But, that doesn't mean the intent... The honest heart and mind's intent mustn't be there. It must be there. If it's not, then you're playing some kind of game with God. You must make Him Lord in order for Him to be your leader. You must say, the answer is yes. What's the question? You must come to that place where you say, I will obey you. You'll be my Lord and I will follow. God doesn't play games with us on this. He understands the heart's intent. He knows our heart's intent. He knows what's in there. He knows that there's a lot of duplicity in there. He knows there's a lot of dishonesty in the cracks and crevices of our minds and hearts. And grace is there. But he also knows that we have to do business with this. To place our faith in Christ is to place our faith in God. God has come in the person of Jesus. So, if you try to come to God without settling this, it won't go well for you. Walking with God won't be a pleasant experience for you. You won't enjoy it. It won't probably be that meaningful for you if you're trying to play games. Some people want to come to God and they want kind of a form of God. They, they, maybe they want to pray a prayer so they can go to heaven when they die. And that's really all they want. <clears throat> it really doesn't work that way. With God, he said, Lord is the only way this works. To like want to take something from God without trusting your life to God is really not 
in, to be in a relationship with God. That's to have an idol. That's making God some kind of idol, which is kind of a form of God, but it's not really God. Jesus taught that if you make him Lord, you will really like it. He said, I came that you might have life, and it'll be a flourishing life. You'll really like that life if you follow him unconditionally. It's a flourishing place. In fact, the gospel writer Paul says, it's immeasurably more than you could ever dream to follow Christ and make him Lord. It's, it, you can't dream or scheme it. It's more than that. It's greater than that. It's not a less, the world says, that life of making Jesus Lord is less than what they're offering. It's not quite up to snuff. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. It's more than what the world's dishing out. So this, this business of making Jesus Lord, of going into business with God, it's immeasurably more than we think. But we have to settle lordship. So that's first things first. If you want God to lead you, Christ must be Lord of your life. So we're told God did not lead the Israelites on the shorter route to their destination. Why? Why did he take them on the efficient way out of Egypt? God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. That's why. If they face war, God knew if they go up the coast, which is the land of the Philistines, who were great warriors, that the people might change their mind. Now, it's easy to get the idea that, like, this was problematic for God. Like, I'm not sure I can handle the Philistines. That's not what's going on here. The possibility of war with the Philistines was not a problem for God. He could have mowed them down the whole way up the coast. He could have done that. What was problematic for God is he, he knew what their response would be as they entered uh, the land of the Philistines. He was concerned that they would turn around. And guess where they're going to go if they turn around? They're going to run right back to Egypt, where they'd been slaves for 430 years. So God is assessing his people and their level of readiness, their resiliency, if you will. And he is saying, they are not ready for this. They're not prepared. They're not sufficiently prepared to threat for the threat of war. They will turn around. So he leads them a different way. We'll call it the long way. He leads them that way towards the Red Sea. The short way is eliminated, not because God couldn't deal with it, because they weren't ready. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, this whole narrative starts, this whole like God with this people, way back with a guy named Abraham. God calls Abraham and says, go to a place I'm going to show you. Abraham does in obedience, and God says, you know what, Abraham, through this, through your response of faith, through this people that's going to raise up around you, I am going to bless all nations. That's a big thing to say. All peoples are going to be blessed by this. 
So God raises up a family around Abraham, several generations of people. That family eventually was forced to migrate down to Egypt because of famine. They moved down there. A guy named Joseph led them, and they wind up starting off in favor with Pharaoh and wind up and then end up in not a good place. The next Pharaoh puts them in slavery. And so they're there 430 years in slavery. And then about the year 1500, a little baby is born named Moses. Right when Pharaoh's trying to kill all the babies, God preserves this little baby, Moses. He leads him, he shapes him, he saves his life a number of times. Around age 40, Moses has this traumatic experience. He commits murder and he runs to the desert. And he spends another 40 years there. And God's shaping him. And then at age 80, that's where we are now. God's calling Moses to lead this people out. It's interesting. This has taken beginning, beginning with Abraham to now Moses is over 500 years. God's have been shaping the people. And then, and then they get out. And you know, what does God say? They're not ready. They're not ready yet. He leads them a long way. Guess where the long way is headed? War with the Egyptians. He rescues them or leads them away from the Philistines. He's going to lead them right up to the Red Sea or Sea of Reeds. We're not sure exactly where it is. But this time, instead of the possibility of turning around and going back, they don't get that option. We'll look at that next week. They find themselves between a sea and the Egyptian army. God is doing this the way that he knows best. Not because he can't handle the Philistines, not because he can't handle the Egyptians. God as their leader is shaping a people. And he's leading them for their best interest. That's what leaders do. That's what healthy leaders do. It's not about them. He's doing what's right for them. This should shape our perspective. This reality, God leads us in ways that is good for us. He's not here to burn your life up. He actually wants to lead you in good ways because he's a trustworthy leader. So he often leads his people in ways unlike they imagine. Question, maybe maybe this is a little more relevant but for people who are older, but maybe not. How has God led throughout your life in ways different than you thought? You may be thinking, how much time do we have? How often do you consider that what you're thinking today about the future, relationships, place, job, God may wind up leading you very differently than that. Do you consider that? Do you consider that it may not match what you're expecting today? Certainly has been true for many in this room. God has led us as Rock Hill, as a, as a young adolescent, I guess, six-year-old congregation, ways that we didn't imagine. There's lots of ways we could talk about that and be good fodder for 
conversation in your small group. We're, we're in the process of renting and reno, renovating a, a training and office space. We're spending $40,000 to remodel a space that we don't own. If you'd have told me that five years ago, i go, that didn't make any sense to me. Is God leading us that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that another time. We're, we're, the space is almost done. We're going to have some open houses pretty soon and let you see it. I'm very grateful for the way God's led us with that. Because as it turns out, it's really consistent with our vision. We, we have a young man in Cyprus we're trying to get here. Joel, we've been praying for him. He's waiting on his F-1 visa so we can get him here. Um, it's a difficult situation that he's in. I didn't see that coming. That, that may wind up being an expensive endeavor. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Why? Well, Joel's worth it. God's leading us that way. I didn't see that coming. That's different than what I imagined. When, when we planted this church, we had a vision of young emerging leaders being trained in the way, truth, and life of Jesus, of, of becoming great commission laborers that would take the gospel across the street and to the nations and their places of work and across cultures. That was our vision but I, I got to be honest, I, I did not envision the light, the, I don't know how to say it exactly, but the quality and character of, of the men and women God's called to be in this community. It, it, it makes me pinch myself. I did not see it coming in that way. Now, I don't get the big head, it's not about us. I'm just saying God is doing something here. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, neither are my ways your ways. That's true for your life. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher. His ways and your ways aren't the same often. His are higher. But they don't look higher a lot of times. They look like the long way to the Red Sea. Paul wrote in Ephesians, now to him to, who can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. While God's vision for your life may be very different than what you're imagining today, it's greater. It may come with great difficulty, but that doesn't mean it's not greater. It may be harder than you want it to be. That doesn't mean it's not greater. It may take longer than you're envisioning. That doesn't mean it's not more. It may be filled with boredom and commonplace. That doesn't mean it's less than. It may involve a lot of pain. It may involve isolation. That doesn't mean it's not greater. See, God, God is willing to spend thousands of years with the people to shape them, to accomplish His purposes. He can handle our lives. He knows where we are. He's a trustworthy leader. He desires to lead us. He desires to lead you. Can we prevent being surprised by God in the future? Can we adequately prepare ourselves in such a way that we won't be surprised? Well, why would we want to? God's a trustworthy leader. He can handle the curveballs. He's trustworthy. 
Let's, let's move on. Verse 19, it says, Moses, this, this is a weird insertion. They're leaving Egypt, and we're told Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made, it, made the Israelites swear an oath. Now these bones are about 400 years old. Keep that in mind. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and when He does, you must carry my bones with you. Sounds like the stuff of a movie, doesn't it? It's a strange insertion. Carry my bones out of here one day, son. You know, grab somebody by the collar and whispered it in his face. So Moses has got a whole lot to think about. Two million people leaving a country on foot. But the author is careful to tell us Moses took Joseph's bones with him when he left. He didn't forget. 400 years, this promise someone made to Joseph. He didn't forget. This is an important, meaningful move. It's important culturally. It's important spiritually. It's important historically in these people. And I think there's something for us here. Don't miss it. Israel's history in Egypt began with Joseph. He was the first to go. And now it's ending... In Egypt, with Moses packing up his bones, carrying them out. Joseph was the first to be enslaved in Egypt. And now he's symbolically being freed from his captivity. His bones are going out of there. His dead bones. They're coming out and they're headed to the promised land. Joseph's bones. Pretty cool. Moses is carrying the past into the future. A statement is being made. Israel has been protected for these 430 years. They've been preserved by their good, trustworthy leader. And Moses is leading that. See, God is not the only one exercising leadership here. Moses is following God, and as he follows God, he's leading See, that's what Christian leaders do. If you're a leader, it's not about you leading so much. You are first a follower. You follow God. You make Jesus Lord. And then in that place, you lead. Moses is taking initiative to lead. He's not sitting around passively taking orders from God. He's actively leading. That's what going into business with God is like. Following Christ comes with much responsibility. Christ leads us, but we're participating. And there's plenty of opportunities and gifts and opportunities to serve and lead and roles in His kingdom. That's what it's like to go into business with God. You're going to have a lot of work to do. See, God isn't programming robots to carry out His plans. He could do it that way, but He doesn't. He works with and he shapes, and he walks with, and is often slowed down by the people he loves. Going into business with God involves submitting to his lordship with a heart to obey. But you are not erased in that equation. Life in God's kingdom is full of opportunities to serve. It's full of roles. He gifts you for those roles. Some of them He doesn't gift you for. He just says, do this. 
But you have opportunity to lead and develop into fashion. And that's good news. Then our author tells us after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. What is it about God and deserts? They're hot, dry places. Sometimes they're cold, dry places at night. They're places of isolation. They can be overwhelming, the desert, in their breadth, in their depth. You ever been in a desert? You ever camped in a desert? It can be overwhelming. They're expanse. Sometimes, some deserts, it's all you can see. Some of you feel like you're in a desert right now. You're in a desert. Well, I want to tell you, you are in good company. God has been dealing with people in desert for a long, long time. Lots of God's people have become acquainted with desert. Jesus did. He was in a desert. In fact, the desert tested him. When you go into business with God, you eventually discover a desert. You will eventually find yourself in one. God frequently uses the desert. Spiritually dry times, isolation, hot, lonely, to shape us. If you're in a desert, you need encouragement and you should seek it out. But you mustn't quit. The desert has a function for your life. God has not abandoned you because you're in a desert. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel day or night, neither the pillar of cloud nor the pillar of fire left its place in front of the people. God is leading them in a spectacular fashion. You ever, ever wish you had one, this? You know, why, why didn't God send me a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? These are fi- visible, physical, tangible manifestations of God's presence. They stayed with the people the whole time they're traveling in the desert. Why doesn't God do it that way for me? Perhaps we have the idea. I think we have some misconceptions with that. Perhaps we have the idea that it would be easier if we had the pillar of cloud. Which, you know what we call those now? Tornadoes. (laughs) Pillars of fire we call firestorms. Do you really want a tornado and a firestorm in the desert? That's what they got. We should also consider what's happening with these people. This people that's leaving Egypt and their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and about probably five or six generations before them, 
They knew one thing. Slavery. They didn't know anything about being free. They knew they were told what to do and when to do it. This is a people that had been shaped in that way. And now they are free. Perhaps they needed to be led this way with the tornado and the firestorm. Maybe it was all they could do. See, we want signs and wonders from God sometimes. And God is certainly capable to give them to us. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing to have one. But maybe one reason God gives a sign and wonder is He knows you have to have it. You don't have the faith to go without it. We also get the idea sometimes that people who get signs and wonders are more mature, more developed. Be careful with that. Getting a tornado and a firestorm doesn't make you special. It may just mean you're in trouble. And you need help. It doesn't mean you're closer to God because you have signs and wonders. It may just mean God has to be clear with you. Maybe you haven't yet learned a different way than a sign and a wonder. Don't misunderstand. God can do them. He's capable, and He will sometimes in our lives. He's done a few in my life when I've needed them. But there's a better way. There's a clearer way. I want to kind of end our time with that. I want to read the introduction to an old sermon called the book of Hebrews. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at various times in many ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. The preacher is telling us something really important here. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Radiance. What you expect to see in a firestorm. The exact representation of His being. If you want God to lead you, you look to Christ. God leads His people in Christ. God leads us as we follow Christ. That's our anchor. As we follow Christ, we follow God. What does that look like? It looks like a lot of things. By the way, this topic, how does God lead us? It's a lot more effective talking to each other about it than it is just listening to a pastor preach on it. You need to be learning from each other what it looks like following Christ. But I'm, let me give you three quick categories. It means apprenticing. means learning. To follow Christ means to become His apprentice. You're learning on the job. That's what an apprentice does. It doesn't just sit in a classroom and hear someone lecture. You're on the job. You're putting your hands on it. You're dialoguing. And when you mess up, you're correcting each other. You're helping. You're showing. That's what it means to apprentice. Jesus once said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
To follow Christ means to learn, to learn his way. He has way. He has ways. He has truth. He has truths. He has a life. To follow Christ means imitating him. Paul once said, the apostle, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wrote the Ephesian church, be imitators of God. Imitating is a part of following Christ. It's learning from Him and then doing what you see Him doing. Jesus showed us this way. He said, I don't do anything by myself. I only do what I see my Father doing. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is living with this. His Father in such a way He's watching Him and He's imitating it. The third way is abiding. This is... This is really when we're getting at. So there's, there's this progression in the New Testament where Jesus is training His disciples. In the early stages, He's using a lot of obedience language. Hey, just do what I say. <clears throat> You'll be okay. <clears throat> when I say it, do it. Follow me. And then, there, then there's a shift, and it's not that obedience stops, it deepens. Jesus said, okay, new lesson. Up to this point, I've called you servants. You could use the word slaves if you like. <clears throat> Jesus says, from here on out, I'm calling you what? Friend. I'm calling you friend. And I want this to move into this interactive relationship that we have. Another word he used for it is abiding. We're going to share life together. We're going to abide, me and you. You and me. You're going to learn to follow me because you know me. Not because I'm just giving you orders and you're saluting. That's actually a very underdeveloped relationship. Now, don't misunderstand me. Obedience never leaves. Discipleship. But Jesus' vision for your life is that, listen to this, you will grow to the point where you do what you want to do. You don't have to be afraid of that. He wants to shape you in such a way you actually do what you want to do. He wants you to live in that kind of abiding relationship to where like doing what pleases God will actually be your desire. It'll, It'll bring you joy. It's not something you like reluctantly obey. Somehow it must be good for me. Now we, we still have times with that, don't we? We never graduate from that fully. Discipleship does mean sometimes doing what we don't want to do in the moment. We understand that. But that's not God's vision. Our vision is an interactive, abiding relationship with Him. Now, if that's not immeasurably more, friends, I don't know what is. That, that should like make you want to raise a hallelujah or whatever that song we sang said. That God is sharing His life with you in such a way. And as Moses carried out Joseph's bones, you have work to do. You have a say in this. God's even willing to slow down for you. If that's what's best for you. He's God. He leads us. He's a trustworthy God. He leads us in ways that are good. Not always easy, but good. Apprenticing, imitating, abiding. First things first, 
We made Jesus Lord of our lives. We say, I will follow you no matter what. I am going to walk towards Jesus, and when I die, you're going to find my cold, hard, dead body pointing that direction. That's what we settle. As we do that, we begin growing up, and we enter a relationship that's interactive that brings us freedom. Freedom. You're, you're living in the way you actually want to live. You've been shaped in that way. When you come to a place in that road you're not ready for it, God will slow down with you. The better way is to take the short way when we have the faith that we can obey quickly, that we can follow quickly with freedom. And we'll see God move quickly. We're not, we're not often ready for that. It takes us longer, doesn't it? You know what? That's okay. It's what it means to be human. But God is in the business of shaping us. Sometimes we get hurt. <clears throat> Sometimes we injure our foot. <laughs> we get hurt and we have to slow down. God is a good leader and He wants to lead your life. <clears throat> he don't want it to just to be like a sermon you heard. He wants it to be really tangible in, in the decisions you've got this week. He really wants to walk with you in such a way that you will learn what to do. doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. This is His vision for us. You've got to start with making Him Lord of your life. Let's pray and we'll be done. <clears throat> Ben, you guys can come on up. I want to ask with the, start with the first things first question. Have you settled lordship in your life? I will follow Jesus no matter what. <clears throat> you don't have to worry about, I know I can't, thank you. I know I'm not going to do that perfectly. God already has that part figured out. And you don't need to beat yourself up because you haven't done it perfectly. He's already got that covered. But the question is still there for you. Will you follow Jesus no matter what? Because if you can't go there, you're playing a game with God expecting Him to lead you. You've got to settle that one as best as you can today. Tomorrow, it might look different. You have to sell it today. If you've never trusted Him that way, giving Him, making Him Lord of your life, and you've been like hanging around church and doing Christian things and praying prayers, but you've not settled that, you're playing games with God. And God doesn't play it. Jesus is Lord is the commitment He asks for you, for each of us. Will you make Him Lord of your life if you haven't already? That, that, that's a decision of trust, isn't it? I would never ask you to make that decision without you becoming sufficiently confident that God is a trustworthy, good leader in your life. I, I would be a wicked leader if I asked you to do that. But I am confident in asking you to make Him Lord of your life because I know He is good. And I know the world's going to chew you up and spit you out without Him. Nothing else is good. 
not in the way God is. Will you make Him Lord of your life if you haven't? Would you say yes? I know many of you in this room have. You know what? Those of us who have, we know this. We keep returning to that place, don't we? We make Him Lord. We've made Him Lord. We've entered His kingdom. And then we're like, I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking control back. You know, my life. I'm not following Jesus in the way that's like all of me. And we do it. You know what? God already knows that. That's why grace is there for us when we come back and say, I'm so sorry, God. You know, I took a long walk last night and I just, I just spent time doing that. God, I'm so sorry. These ways that I'm not trusting you like I should. His kindness is there for you because He's a good God. 